0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Outdoor Edge knows that providing a freezer full of meat is part of the reason we all hunt. And what better way to bring it full circle than to process your own wild game? Outdoor Edge provides a full lineup of traditional and replaceable blade hunting knives and complete wild game processing kits to bring your wild game from the field to the freezer. Visit OutdoorEdge.com and at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30 for 30% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market.
1: All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today, I've got a repeat guest. His name's Ian McKendry. This guy is a moose fanatic. And I I kind of like this guy more and more every time I talk to him. Now, every time he sends me moose shed pictures and I wasn't on the trips with him, I like him a little bit less. But it all kind of evens out. And he's he's really just a great guy. In fact, I've been putting in for my main moose license. And so I'm hoping one day to draw that. I can go up there, hang out with Ian Chase down some big bull moose in the North Woods, and gosh, that would be so sweet. Anyways, we're gonna dive into all the changes he's got coming up. He was a former law enforcement officer, served his community for a while, but he's stepping out of that into a new adventure. So I'm super pumped to hear about it, to share that with you guys. Let's jump in.
2: Like he was doing things that were just badass.
1: That was one of the coolest moments of my life. was really scared but knowing that Dan had the gun i did have the rifle like we would be okay all right guys so i am constantly getting asked about the gear that i'm using and the great news is that i've got it all listed out on go wild now if you listen carefully i'm going to tell you how you can get a ten dollar gift card to use toward picking up some new gear go wild is a free social community where your photos aren't censored they're actually encouraged So much so that Go Wild will give you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. Now, as you earn those points, you can unlock awesome rewards like gift cards and free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Also, check this out. If you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. So go visit DownloadGoWild.com to get started. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me again is Ian McCandry. Ian, welcome to the show, man. There's a lot of changes going on, and I'm pumped to talk about all of them.
2: Thank you. Glad to be back.
1: Dude, so I think last we talked, was that last summer already?
2: It was uh, September,
1: yeah. Dang, that's so crazy. It seems like we just were on the phone. And, I mean, we've communicated a little bit here and there in between. But it's it's blowing my mind how quickly time is flying and you know, how much can elapse in that short amount of time. So uh, last we talked, you're huge into shed hunting for moose antlers. Um, and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Um, you're a police officer and you were just like you, you loved adventure. You loved getting out any chance you could when you weren't working. What is going on in Ian's life right now?
2: So I think it was probably two weeks ago or so, I stepped out of law enforcement, totally on good terms, Um, still talk with all the guys that I work with, talk to the chief every once in a while, see him through town, but uh, I finally figured out that it wasn't for me. Um, I have a lot of support around me for that decision. Um, Haven't really heard otherwise, but I'm sure I will at some point, Um, just wanted to live more and being so young, I'm only 23. it was kind of odd being in that such a authoritative position at such a young age it really gets you thinking in uh, every situation you get into but just to live more uh experience more in the outdoors and i want to take the content seriously and, and try and push the brand
1: yeah that's that's cool man i love i love seeing people take those leaps of faith or you know they're Just jumping and going all in after whatever it is that they're passionate about, excited about. It's really tough. I mean, it can be very difficult to break away from the norm and the standard. And, you know, like, oh man, I have to have my nine to five, a 401k. I have to have a certain amount of vacation a year. I need to go into a physical location. And I think a lot more people are realizing that they don't have to, they don't have to do that. Um, And, My wife and I always say, like, anybody can do what we do, but not everybody can. I I, I don't know how to say that. Like, everybody can't all be doing what we do, but anybody could do what we do, if that makes sense. And 99.9% of people won't. They'll stick with their normal, everyday job it's going to be comfortable. They're going to have an exact amount that they make every two weeks or every month or whatever that looks like. And that's, that's totally fine. But the days that we're spending as a family, the times like this past weekend, going out fly fishing and just hanging out with friends, camping for three days, those make us remember like, dude, this is, this is what living is like. We couldn't go back we, we never could. So.
2: Exactly. Once, once you get a taste of it, I think I'm going to be hooked forever and, and just want the, the nomadic lifestyle of just being free. And I got asked right after I stepped out like a day or two later, how do you feel like you, are you doing all right? So free. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed being a police officer. It was, it was a lot of fun. But a lot of the fun for me was derived from talking to people and talking to people like right now, you just get on a roll and you, you start jumping down rabbit holes and it's just good conversation is good. Whether it be solving problems or just having a good conversation. That was a lot of what stemmed from it of just, you know what? I don't think this is, this is really where I should be. If there's yeah. somewhere I could be doing better things.
1: Dude, and to, and to find the thing that's going to, like, give you energy instead of drain you of energy. You know, uh, I tell people that all the time. Like, you might enjoy your job, but you don't wake up excited to go to work. You don't wake up going, man, I'm going to do what, like, I was created for. Um, And that's tough. Like, I, I've been in plenty of roles like that. I've been in jobs where I enjoyed being at work and i enjoyed the people that i worked with but it wasn't what i was made to do and and yeah getting that free time getting that family time it may not make sense to everybody but like what's funny is when my wife and i first moved back to missouri she was working for a company that i or an organization that i used to work for and we were living I'm trying to think. I don't remember the exact make and model, but we were living in a camper that we had renovated and we were staying at a KOA here in town and we went to a work function for my wife and it was all these people that I used to work with. So I'm talking to them and they're like, oh man, hey, where are you living? And we're like, oh, we live at the KOA. We've got a camper that we renovated and we live in that full time. And they're like, oh, uh. Uh, my buddy is actually selling a house, or oh, you'll find a place soon, you'll find a place soon. And I'm like, no, we chose this. It wasn't like we fell on hard times, we had nowhere to go. Like, we actually chose to renovate this camper and to live in it. And a lot of people just don't understand that. It's like, no, you got to have this house, you have to have this many square feet, this nice of a car. And, uh, we've just never being the people to jump on board with that
2: no need anymore um the internet's such an amazing place like we connected originally through tiktok and now it's instagram or texting or whatever it may be but making a living online and then living that different lifestyle than everybody else like i tell people i'm gonna live out of the back of my truck for a little while are you sure are you all right yeah I'm doing great. I'm doing the best I have in years. yeah living the dream
1: dude, and you talk to people who have done it and you see the amount of like happiness they experience, the adventures that they go on it yeah, it really does change changes their mind. A couple people sitting downstairs right now um they're they're friends of ours that we met at a competition. it's called gutted. It was a televised renovation competition for school buses rvs and um and a van and so we met them through that the guy he last night they stayed in the driveway uh linnea our friend she stayed in her renovated van she she travels the country with her dog and that i mean that's what they do he He parked last night in the driveway in his school bus. He's got a mini school bus and he runs tiny home tours. And like they, they just adventure all the time. It's amazing. They're in different places. They spend different chunks of the year in different regions of the country. Um, She really likes the desert, but they came down here and we went fly fishing for the weekend. And I'm just like, everybody on our team, we were on the van team and everybody on our team either currently does or has at one point just lived in a van full time. And uh, with the exception of my wife and I, but it, they're just like, dude, it's just, you get rid of all the unnecessary stuff. You just go and you just live.
2: That's where I'm at right now. I'm like going through my, my drawers and just like, I haven't worn that in weeks. Like, yeah. I don't need it anymore. Like, I got to figure out the clothes situation in the truck of where I'm storing everything for the day-to-day. Unless I'm shed hunting, I'm wearing, like, two different pair of pants for the week kind of thing, and just beating them up. But that show sounds pretty cool gutted.
1: Yeah, the premiere, gosh, I wish I had the dates. I think it's at the end of May, like, May 2, maybe it's May 18th, actually. May 18th or 19th it premieres we're going to an event in KC um for the premiere i mean we we competed in this last summer and it's wow. coming out they're going to do a season 2 lots of cool things are happening but yeah that was that was a pretty life-changing event for my wife and i going out and competing in that and just seeing three different teams of people like seven people in each team and all of them live this type of lifestyle the nomadic lifestyle where they travel and they just adventure and get to experience a lot of things that some people never will
2: you say it was a big change do you think that's where most of the mindset was for you where that seeing the possibilities it clicked
1: yeah i think i think um seeing everybody else and like how they can be successful doing it you know it's not like they're just struggling the whole time out there i think the community around it and just the lifestyle and the mindset in general i was just like man everybody was just so like cheerful and joyful and um yeah that was definitely a turning point for us where we're like we're going to travel we're going to we're going to hit the road again and we're going to see I don't know wherever wherever it takes us we're going to go. Uh we're we're kind of torn though because like I do want property. I want I want like a home base and we've kind of turned Springfield, Missouri into that. But we also want to just go and see the country cuz there's so much to see. I feel like we travel more than almost everybody. But we still have yet to see a lot of really cool places that are out there. So
2: I say it quite a bit now. I don't know if it was in one of your other podcasts or the one that we had done where we're talking about hunting and like where we want to hunt eventually. It's like, yeah, America. Like, I want to hunt the US, I want to hunt North America. Like, there's so many opportunities and cool places in this country I haven't seen. I mean, I've seen a good handful of them, but there's so much more out there that. I haven't discovered yet. Soon.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's there's so many places that in in 10 lifetimes you couldn't see all the places that the US has to offer. But you can see you can still see a ton in one lifetime. And I'd rather fill fill my life and like my wife and my kids lives up with adventuring. And seeing all those places instead of them getting to be 50, 60 years old, empty nesters, and then it's like, oh, now we should start. I'm like, you waste yeah. some of the most prime years of your life do, like just working. And and again, like there's probably gonna be a lot of people who are like, Not everybody can do this, not everybody can do this. And you know what? Not everybody's going to do this, but you can find a way to prioritize certain things, and it might not be traveling. You may hate to travel. There's people who love just being at home. They like having their space, and that's that's awesome. But maybe for you, it's being out on your property or fly fishing more or moose shed hunting more, you know, and whatever that is, you can you can find a way to prioritize it, and it may mean making less money, um but hopefully it means working less also
2: (laughs) there's a little bit of a give and take where all right i'm going to start working for myself so instead of working eight hours a day i'm going to work 14 to 16 hours a day yeah but then you look at it like i'm drained and i wake up on monday morning like oh my god monday (laughs) instead of i wake up and go it's monday it's monday everybody else is
1: back to work i've got the woods to myself
2: I had a great day yesterday. I'm going to go do it again. And then answer emails. And like, I was so excited today when I drove into the woods, drove up on a car and the guy goes, I've seen you on YouTube. You're Ian, right? Jumped out, shook hands. Like, do you want to come with me? So we jumped into the cut together, ran it. I was like, all right, like, I got to get out, get out of here soon. I got to go record a podcast out of (laughs) all things. Like that's, it's the next best thing to me of like, I get to talk to somebody in the industry and that's doing it for real.
3: Yeah.
1: What, a. speaking of shed hunting, what's that look like for you so far? Have you found a bunch?
2: Yeah. So those couple I had moved over here, I found a pair, or not a pair, but I found two on December 31st. Um, I found a little three point moose shed. This thing was so sticky when I picked it up. My hands were covered in pitch. And I had about like a four inch little spot sticking out of the snow. And I almost rode by it on my snowmobile. But I've got a picture of this moose on trail camera about 1.3 miles away from where he shed it. Dang. And it's really funny to like you start looking at the topo and like, all right, this moose is almost on a completely north facing slope. Makes absolutely zero sense other than the vegetation and just it's a cut. But you everybody's oh south facing slope, south facing slope. wow well, found that. Um I really need to go back into that same cut. I don't have a picture of him. Oh dude. This is only it's only about like seven pounds or something. Paper thin, but he's got a really cool curve in the back of the palm. Um he snapped off a tip on the back of the paddle. And then he snapped off another point here. But he's got some cool character. Um, Definitely a younger moose. Still had a bunch of uh, hair and the wax ring on the base. Um, And then snow veiling again. I found uh, another brown that was an absolute warrior. Snapped off, snapped a point here on the the first point. Broke off the entire back half of his paddle. Snap, stabbed two holes in his palm and I found this one I'll send you the picture later there was about a single inch of the tip of the antler sticking out of the snow and I had like been pestering all my buddies behind me on sleds going I've seen like five moose rubs in the last ten minutes yeah. keep your eyes out so that one's marked in purple on my onyx to go back there this spring so there's definitely another one I want to find the other half to his paddle
1: yeah. that would
2: be really cool
1: dude that would be so crazy <laughs> I can't imagine like just finding a moose shed. I'm I found my first shed while actually shed hunting this year. And it was this tiny little this tiny little four point. Actually, I think I've been moving stuff around. I think it's right under here. Hold on. I saw it underneath my desk the other day and I didn't get it out. And now I'm like trying to kick it out to myself. But um yeah, I found that in Wisconsin this weekend. We were down floating, or not floating, but camping on the Buffalo River in Arkansas, and I found my first morel mushroom, so I was pretty pumped about that. I've never, I've tried and had zero success, but we found quite a few, fried them up, ate them, and holy cow, I am forever a morel mushroom hunter.
2: Oh boy, down another rabbit hole.
1: Yeah, there's always something more that we could do, I mean... That's my problem is every time I find a new outdoor activity, I just get hooked and I don't have the time, the money, the energy, um, the patient wife, like (laughs) there's, there's not enough of all of those things, uh, to allow me to do each outdoor activity that I want to. Like my wife is amazing. I've got more free time than most people I know I've got the financial freedom at this point to do a lot of this stuff. But to get really into any new outdoor activity takes so much time and energy and
2: a lot of knowledge too. Yeah. Gotta build that experience. Like I've taken out three people this year that have barely shed hunted, to a father and son crew that have never shed hunted in their lives. Dang. And they came out with me and I was just like I'm not really getting in. So I took him out to show them the pointers. There was still like two feet of snow. Kid had a blast, but that knowledge-based thing where it's like, just do it a couple of times. I, I walked miles on miles. I walked like a hundred miles or something my first year shed hunting and found like 18 or 20 antlers. Yeah. So the, the ratio is a little brutal.
1: <laughs> oh, I bet. I mean, I'm sure it helps. Now your, your success rate probably is a lot higher. You know where to look. You've got trail cameras out there. You know where moose have been hanging out, even though, like you said, that was over a mile from where you had trail camera pictures. Um, I'm sure year after year, you kind of hone it in even more.
2: Yeah. I'm getting better at that. Um, the, the big thing for me, this, um, late fall winter, like December January I didn't fly that was a big thing I wanted to get up in the air fly around and like really see the herds after the moose hunt was over yeah um the trail cam thing is interesting though because where I had that three-pointer on camera I had a bull with like 15 points just picket fence absolute slammer um all my guys and I would call it a Monday bull so the season starts that's when you're shooting first day yeah I don't have this other big bull on camera Hmm. i don't i don't have i had like five or six bulls in a week and then they were gone so it was that one week in september where you could really tell that it was the rut like peak rut and they were just everywhere yeah mooseford and this that camera was at 2700 feet so it was a long ways up on a mountain and then that mountain keeps going a ways up higher too but there's a big south facing ridge around here that a lot of people know it but a lot of people don't know it for moose so when i do it this year i'm going to do like a little spike camp i'm going to try and do like two nights on it i think and just shed hunt the whole ridge yeah a big long ridge and on it i'm going to drop cameras to pick up next year nice whether it be in the fall deer hunting or whatever, but there's probably a bunch of deer up there too.
1: Dude, I I was kind of bummed. I went out to Colorado, and a guy that has been out at the elk camp um, that I go to, I found out that he drew a moose main or a uh, main moose tag last year and hunted in Maine for moose, and he never got one. And I was Damn. like dang it, dude. I was like, I had no idea. He drew one. Like he, he goes to elk camp, but he's not the like, he's not one of the people that I'm super close with. And so, uh, I just wish I had known sooner. I'm like, dude, I've got, I've got the perfect guy to connect him with. I could have totally hooked him up with somebody who actually lives there and knows the area. And I don't know, like as a non-resident, if you draw a moose tag, is it only for certain units?
2: So when you draw a moose tag, you have one unit. Okay. Um there's twenty-six wild or no, twenty-six or twenty-nine wildlife management districts in Maine. And there's like maybe eight or ten that they don't draw for moose tags. Yeah. So it's like one through maybe twenty. One through twenty or one through nineteen. I think like twenty-eight or something over on the east side of Maine has some moose too, but it's like one little pocket in that yeah southern district that actually holds moose but uh, yeah if if you know um you put in uh June 1st I think is the lottery yeah and if if I can pull it off I'm gonna try and go to the lottery and have like a little booth for beyond the boundaries yeah. and just be there with some hoodies and say hi to everybody and and hope I hear Matthews called over the the announcer that like wait a second. If they just say Missouri
1: like Dude, <laughs> say it again. That would be so <laughs> freaking awesome, man. I yeah. yeah, I put in this year, um i try I put in to try to draw my Colorado moose license this year. We'll see, I mean, I've only got like five points or six points or something like that. It's not many at all, and so the odds of me getting it are slim to none, but they're still better than zero. And I just every year I'm like, I hope I'm that guy this year. I hope I'm that guy. Now there's a lot of tags this year that I put in for and
3: more that are coming up, like mm. excuse me. Wow, that was a big yawn.
1: Um here in Missouri, I'm gonna put in for Bear and Elk again. The the success rate on Elk here. If you draw, it's almost, I think it's 100% in the first two years that they've done it. And so there's like, I think the first year they gave out like five or six tags, Um, but everybody got a bull and I'm like, dude, that'd be so fun to hunt like Missouri for elk.
2: Unpressured.
1: Yeah. Unpressured. Like they've seen a total of like 18 people out in the woods actually hunting them so far. So uh, I think that would be a that'd be a good time, but man, Maine I think would be, dude. I would love to get a Maine moose tag.
2: Maine is just something else. Like i I haven't hunted many other states. I've only hunted, yeah, Vermont and New Hampshire, and similar terrain, similar vegetation. But when I go west, like I I still feel like I'm I'm gonna want to come back. Both for a moose season, if I can, to help guide or guide yeah. and then beer season is just such an ingrained thing where I was at the grocery store and some lady was like, like Oh, what's your favorite holiday? Cause I was buying some, um, what was I getting? I was probably getting Valentine's day, some stuff. I was like, Thanksgiving. Absolutely. There's no question. Yeah. Food, family, be yep <laughs> <laughs> it's too good to be but i i don't know the moose hunt is it's definitely becoming more controversial or not controversial but like talked about in yeah. the population and is the tick management program really doing what it should or if there's even a program i'm just kind of putting words together there but are they doing it in a way that can lower the tick population to bring back the numbers of moose. Like when I was talking to Nathan today in the woods, the guy I shed hunted with, he, I said, it I was like, oh, I'm only 23 years old. It's like, I have been shed hunting like a year more than you've been alive. And I said, it I was like, you saw the good days then. Didn't you? Like, yeah. Yeah, I did. Where you wouldn't even pick up the white ones. <laughs> you could finish a year. You'd finish a year with, like, 50 or 60 browns. What and the heck? To me, to me, that just blows my mind because I was like, oh, my God, I found 63 antlers. And this is, like, the peak. This is my my top moment I could think of to possibly have. And I had, like, eight or nine brown antlers. Yeah. I'm on, I have three in front of me, and I'm on top of the world. But Dude,
3: the...
1: It's interesting to hear people talk about like the good old days of hunting. And a lot of people would say we are in them for a lot of different things, but. The tick hunting for, or I mean the ticks, the tick issue with moose is crazy and it blows my mind. I mean, I've never, I I hate ticks. We had a bunch, we found a bunch on us while we were hiking this week, but. The amount of ticks that it takes to kill a moose and the fact that it's actually happening up there and it's happening a lot, it's not like a rare occurrence, Um, that's scary. And typically when you have an issue like that, you have to introduce some type of invasive species to take care of it because obviously nothing that's naturally occurring there right now is doing the trick. Do you know like what the... Department of Conservation there in Maine is doing about it?
2: I don't know exactly and I should I should be up to date on that. Um I thought of I've been thinking and I've thought about it in the last bunch of months of like with the law enforcement stepping away, I was like, damn, like, should I have gone to school for biology to be more involved in in like what I've found a passion in now? It's like, well, I found my passion a little late, but I know I like the outdoors, so I didn't really wouldn't have tied in too well, but I think the idea right now is like one of the areas that I spent a lot of time in they call it four a they offer it as like a cow only zone, yeah, or like an additional cow only hunt because there's such a high population in there, and they're assuming that if they can harvest more cows, it kills off a bunch of those ticks, hopefully, and then it it Evens up that cow to bull ratio and starts producing more. I, obviously, I don't know what the eighties were like in the eighties and the nineties and the early thousands, but it used to be dangerous to drive those Northern sections of tar at night. Like everybody just did 45 on the way home. That was normal. And you would drive on the yellow line to have an equal shot. From either side and now going home if i see a moose like i get home like i saw a moose on the way home like this is a big deal yeah and then you get above some of those zones and they're like chickens they're just everywhere but i don't know there's different different opinions on whether it's ticks or whether it's logging practices around the state i don't have a good enough understanding yet Um, I know antlers drop off every year and I go running around for them. That's about it right now, but, um, comes back to that knowledge thing. There's always something out there I can learn. So that is the next venture I think is, is diving more into what we can, what we can do as a state to manage the moose population and hopefully revamp the moose population back to what it was in the 2000s or the the 90s because that'd be incredible to to have those high mountain peaks where there's 50 60 bulls herding together in the winter that, why wouldn't we want that
1: oh yeah dude that would be that's just crazy like anytime i've encountered a moose in the wild it has just been mind-blowing you just see you just see the I don't know the the sheer size of them, it, it's hard to explain to people, you know, it's like explaining to somebody how big a Clydesdale is with them having never been close to one. Like you can see pictures of them. You can see videos of them. You can see TV commercials about them, but until you actually see it in person, you don't understand. And there's nothing like being up close to one or, or seeing one with your own two eyes. That's going to compare.
2: I use the example my father and I both do of a refrigerator on stilts. Their legs are so far out of proportion with their body size that just these little peg legs, huge bones in them, but tiny little legs and this big rectangular awkward body that just can move fast. (laughs)
1: yeah and through deep snow like there's nothing i tell people all the time i'm like there's there are a few animals that i would rather or that i wouldn't want to come encounter with more than a moose like a grizzly uh, a grizzly that like has cubs and a moose during the rut are the two most lethal animals in my opinion in north america like There's nothing you can do. It doesn't even matter if you're in a vehicle. Moose are just so big and so powerful that you're just kind of at their will at that point.
2: Yeah. I think I had said it the last time we had chatted, but I got charged by a cow. And it was about maybe maybe three, like four or five feet away when it went by me. I heard a stick break, spun around camera click on and it went rushing by as i stepped behind a little tree and like the noise they make smell like you you can smell when you've been next to a moose
3: yeah
2: incredible animal um and then the funny part like i found an antler yesterday with my girlfriend and we were talking a little bit uh, like i i understand what you mean now of like It's kind of sad in the season where maybe there should be an antler restriction and and these deer can actually like get up to this size like yeah like i went back to that cut today to look for the match of the antler i found last year to i want to see the other side i want to see if that moose dropped in the same cut i want to see how big he is yeah i really hope he didn't get harvested this fall yeah it's a great it would have been an absolute trophy moose, but on the other side of the the hunting aspect i want to see how big it gets i want to see the the progression
1: yeah i feel like the end of an arrow when an animal that you've been tracking or following for a while dies that's tough cuz you're just like dude like there's that's it that's the end of the story on this one and and yeah that that's sometimes a tough pill to swallow and when especially when you're not the one that ends up taking it you know, like if I think the worst that happens in in my mind at least and probably in most hunters' minds is when an animal dies to disease or, you know, you just end up finding it out there and it's been eaten by coyotes or it got hit by a car. And it's like nobody gets to enjoy that memory of that animal. Um, like you can still, sure, grab the, grab the skull, do a Euro mount, put it up and remember the encounters that you had with it or the trail camera pictures or whatever. But when you actually get to harvest that animal yourself after tracking it, Oh dude, there's nothing like it. All right, guys, I need to take a quick second to tell you about a product that I've been using for quite a while now. It's called bull elk beard oil. If you've spent any amount of time in the outdoors, whether it's on the mountain in the marsh or in the woods, you've felt the effects of the wind, the sun, and the cold on your face. What this product does it helps you look better feel more confident and it helps your beard keep its moisture not to mention it smells great so now my wife can't complain as much after i come home from a long week of elk hunting now i need to tell you i've gotten to know brian the founder over the past couple months and he is an awesome guy brian made sure that all of these oils are made out of clean products right here in the usa he also loves to give back to the outdoor community whether that's through fundraisers for public land acquisitions or even helping donate money to cover the surgery cost of duck dogs. He's an amazing guy, and he makes an amazing product. So go check out elkbeardoil.com and be sure to check out the subscription options so that you don't have to run out of your favorite facial hair product. Plus, you can use the code NOMATIC and get 20% off your order.
2: I I laugh sometimes when I, like, friends of mine and, like, acquaintance watch deer films on YouTube, and it's, like, these people that have four or five, six years of history with a buck, and then they shoot it, and there's, it's over. It's all over. we could have that. Tracking is such a big thing up here, but, like, the four or five year thing is so appealing to me. And I think it's because of shed hunting now where I want that connection. My butter, my buddy Connor in uh, Vermont and New Hampshire, he harvested like four or five deer this year and he shot a absolute slammer of a buck that he has the sheds off of, and he's got like three years of history with it. And that's almost unheard of in the big woods yeah. to have history with a buck, even find sheds off of a deer up here is difficult let alone find a set and then shoot the deer. Like I think he said 40 yards from where he found the set.
1: Dang. That's cool.
2: Yeah. Yep. He found the set months previous and then slammer of a buck big eight. I think it was a big eight pointer. And then he shot one in Ohio with his bow. Um, he shot one in Vermont and I think that big one was New Hampshire. And then he, he might have gotten like a Massachusetts muzzleloader, okay. And then a doe, a doe in New Hampshire. But he's an absolute stud deer hunter. He's going crazy. He's is part of these guys up here stagger? Okay. They're coming coming up in the East Coast. That it, that's going to be cool. They're starting a bunch of tracking products. They came out with some gloves that have like a almost a tire pattern on the fingers so you don't drop your gun. Yeah. There's a glove out now but it's just got like the little beads of rubber. Yep. Very excited for all that. It's going to be a good, good thing. That's cool. Um, how did, how was your fall? Did you, did you get into any gear?
1: Dude, my fall was a whirlwind. I mean, I, I think before I talked to you, we did arc or we, I was in Alaska, so I went up to Alaska. Um, that's kind of what started out my year after that it just a lot of hunting here my waterfowl season was super slow in missouri um my deer season was pretty slow i got a couple does with my bow um so that was exciting or no i think this year i got only one doe with my bow yeah it was two years ago now that i got two um i got one doe with my bow other than that i didn't have any encounters with bucks that i knew except for like super long encounters seeing them pop out way across the field um i got i had some encounters with really young bucks the only the only close call i had with a big um buck that was on the that was on the hit list it was two minutes after legal shooting light ended for the day and it literally jumped out hopped the fence stood at 10 yards broadside and I never even took my bow off the hanger. I just watched it. I was like, you gotta be kidding me, man. I like a couple minutes earlier and I would have been so pumped. Um, I went up to Wisconsin, got a buck and a doe up there. That was fun. I, that's something I always look forward to. Like you said, Thanksgiving being my favorite holiday I mean the Sunday before or the Saturday before Thanksgiving is when rifle season starts in Wisconsin. It goes till the Sunday after. And so that's just like that whole week is basically a giant holiday for me getting out there since then, man, I've done, let's see, I did elk hunting out in Colorado and mule deer didn't have success with either, um, went down to Texas, uh shot a couple hogs on public land and then went back for a helicopter hog hunt just a couple weeks ago that was freaking crazy that was that was the wildest experience i think i've ever had like it was just it was kind of out of body like i i didn't even fully understand what was happening in the moment until after i'm like dude we were flying a helicopter shooting hogs that was amazing yeah, I shot a bunch of hogs, shot a couple of coyotes, did the same thing for, um, for thermals at night, went out with thermals and got a bunch, um, Damn. dude, just an amazing experience. So I had a super busy, super, super busy year and it's only going to get better. Yep. I went up to Wisconsin for waterfowl, just got onto so many ducks and geese there. That was a lot of fun, but I'm hoping that this fall is even better. I need to look because I don't even know. If I get if I get either moose tag, I don't know, or if I got both moose tags, I don't know what I would do. Like, surely. Yeah. The nice thing about Colorado is I think it's good for archery, muzzleloader, or rifle. Uh-huh. I don't know what it would be for. I don't remember if I put in for, like, just one or the other um for Maine, um, or if it's like an any season tag also
2: it's a any season uh you have six days one zone um the six days did you you entered for the zones that i had texted you yeah yep okay so yeah did you i get did run?
1: literally everything exactly how you told me to because i'm like <laughs> otherwise i'm gonna pick something and he's gonna be like oh no that's a really bad spot to go
2: yeah i gave you some of those like top the top tier districts yeah. um In case it's like all right maybe i find bulls in one spot this spring or like this fall it's like all right we're going back here
3: yeah
2: um we could we could trade a permit easily to bounce a district down or something if we don't want to travel too far um but the main tag you can rifle bow crossbow muzzleloader i think you can you can use everything but a shotgun
3: okay
1: and you said it's just six days six days dang see that's that's the crazy part to me because i think in colorado you have like almost a full month for bow and then you have you have a couple weeks for muzzleloader um and then you have two full weeks for rifle and so it's like, if you don't get it done with the bow, I would be out there. I want to shoot one with my bow so bad. I think that would be the coolest thing ever. Yeah. It might be scary as can be, but I think it'd be a lot of fun.
2: <laughs> um, you were saying the the most lethal animal is Grizz and a moose in the rut. The moose and the rut are kind of dumb, but like they yeah. are like really charged up for it. After shooting the one younger, like young Ian, 11 years old, shooting a moose mentality-wise it it was amazing but like the figment pieces that i remember from that hunt are incredible yeah i think having a tag now or next year hopefully within the like next five or ten i will appreciate it so much more and it's going to be an archery tag yeah in in my head i'm shooting it with a bow i don't want to exit that six days without a moose (laughs) And then, of course, on that last day, if I haven't gotten a moose and I pick up a rifle, the moose is going to walk into 25 yards.
1: Exactly. That's how it always happens, man. But then yeah. you see guys like the state record for Colorado. In fact, I think it might – it may still be or one time was the world record for Shira's moose. Um, he shot it with a recurve and i'm like oh my gosh man like that is a whole different level i would be in the same boat as you i think i would say like oh i'm gonna wait until like the last day or two and then i'll pull out the rifle but i'd probably get antsy if if i didn't have those opportunities early on like i can only imagine being three days in realizing you're halfway there and you hadn't got the opportunity i hear i hear it all the time people get a moose tag and they shoot one opening day and then they're regretting the fact that they shot one but it's just like you just don't want to miss that opportunity especially on a once in a lifetime animal like that
2: yeah the thing with the moose the main you can apply more than once over your lifetime so when i got it i think you had to wait like three years to apply again yep so I don't know i think i'd i'd have a good gun in the truck that could shoot like really poke out there three four five hundred yeah hopefully my buddy just built a gun that's pack driver at 400 it's crazy so i'm next up in the friend group to build a nice gun apparently so do that and if i've got an absolute smash of a bull at three four hundred i might have to might have to just take it but I would definitely run down in the cut with my bow first and, try oh, and yeah. tease him out into it. Um,
1: what What's the yeah. regulation? I mean, like, could you carry your bow and your rifle with you or is I it one or the other?
2: I don't know, but I think you could have like, so the thing of like you put me in as your sub, your sub permittee can carry a weapon as well. Mm. So when I had my permit, I had a gun, and my dad also had a gun so the minute that ian at like 65 pounds shot the 308 and got knocked on his ass my dad just started unloading and yeah put a bunch they put one hole into the, the moose but <laughs> it's better than nothing that you just want to get them down so yeah like you said they're just enormous they'll take a bullet and just stand there
1: dude that would be so so crazy and that's awesome. I totally forgot about that, the sub permittee thing that you told me yeah. about. I was like, man, it's so – it's really smart for them to do that. And, Very. like, <laughs> I can only imagine what it would be like, though, you know, being out there, you go out with your buddy, and he gets trigger-happy, and all of a sudden he squeezes the round off, and you're the one that drew. Like, <laughs> I, there's got to be stories out there like that. I just – I couldn't imagine being in that position.
2: My, my uncle Mike shot, I think he shot like two moose, and he spent a sub on each hunt. And the permit has always just been like, yeah, you can, you can shoot the bull or like they got into the cut and they're next to each other or something. He, he shot one right behind the ear. Cause it was like coming down to the wire. Yeah. That's all they could see. They could see the the antlers coming off and, drop it but i don't know like you definitely have to have that conversation Like, oh yeah i i like you as a friend but like i'm shooting first
1: yeah (laughs) oh yeah that would be the that would definitely be the conversation it would almost be hey your gun is going to be unloaded this whole time until i tell you or you can you can load around as soon as you hear me shoot the first one um yeah but, yeah, you'd have to have pretty clear communi- communication on that yeah, side of it,
2: definitely. and I think archery wise if you're you're shooting archery, stick that arrow, yep, no more shots and until we realize that we need to like track it down and it was a bad archery shot or something, then we'll we'll take those next steps but i yeah uh, i can't wait
1: that's one thing that i've always struggled with and i understand the concept behind it but i definitely feel like it takes away when you see videos of guys archery hunting wherever it is um if they're if they're archery hunting somewhere and the guide has a rifle and as soon as that arrow hits they're pulling the trigger on the rifle i'm like man i just don't feel I feel like that tarnishes the experience for sure. And you may go in and find like when you're gutting it out or whatever, you might see that you double lunged it with the arrow or you got a clean heart shot on it, um, shooting it with the arrow. And so it's like, Oh, I would have died anyways. But it's like, yeah, but it's still, there's something weird to me. There's something that just feels like kind of gross about shooting it with a bow and then immediately shooting it with the rifle. also. um, and I get the concept behind it, behind it, especially like over in Africa, when they're hunting Cape buffalo or lion or something like that. Like, yeah, yeah, you can't take a chance of it coming after you. So you shoot it again, or you can't take a chance of it getting into the brush. Um, but yeah. if it was me and I and I hit it first, I wouldn't want somebody else just filling it with holes unless yeah. you know it was a charging grizzly or something like that where yeah. it's like hey dude yeah i'd rather not die today the, so go for it
2: yeah when the situation warrants that you you would hope it's there i'll i'll offer you the the alternative to that it frustrates me when i watch a, a hunting video and mule deer elk for example let's say a 250 yard shot you see the guy like nice and crispy sits down bang and he smokes the deer and it just stands there or smokes the elk right behind the shoulder this is a 12 ring to the tee yeah he jacks another round and he puts four holes in this thing <laughs> while it's standing there what's your opinion on that because i know it frustrates the heck out of me i'm a i like meat and you yeah just swiss cheese and your meat at that point
1: yeah, I mean in in my mind like just the way that I was raised with hunting, it's always been weird to put multiple shots on an animal. If I'm if I'm deer hunting in Wisconsin, I pull the trigger one time. Like that's it. Like I it's not like I'm shooting it and then as it's running through the woods I'm trying to get follow-up shots in it. Um typically I think almost every deer i've ever shot was one shot including with a bow uh when it comes to coyotes dude i'll keep shooting until they drop um when it comes to big game out west i i shot one and the guys that i hunt with out there they're like dude you keep shooting until it's dead and i'm like okay okay like until it stops moving And i'm like all right and they're like dude we've had to pump the like elk are tough animals they have a serious will to survive and they're like dude you can't risk them falling off of a cliff and then it's like for nothing you know or getting into a spot where you just don't find them or you can't retrieve the meat or any of that and so the first one that i that i took i i think it was I think it was like 330 yards and I hit it and it was quartering to me. I, I put, it was a hard quarter to me. So I slipped it right inside the front shoulder. And, and as soon as I shot, I could hear it. I could hear that, like that hollow, like whack sound. And I'm like, dude, it was a good shot. And it just stood there. And so I'm like reloading and getting, getting settled on it. And I was like, if it, stays there i'm going to give it give it again and right then a cow ran up and ran into it like because it was a big herd and they all heard the shot and one ran into its butt which pushed it out of there and so we walked down and we were going to go look for blood and start trailing it right away and we get down there and i look to my right and he's standing there looking at me and he doesn't even look face like not at all and I I would have bet $10,000 that that bull was going down within 20 yards because I was, I mean, I was using a 338 wind Mag and it was like 195 grain bullets or something like that. And I just thought for sure he was going to be done. And he wasn't like, not, not at all. And so we double tapped him after that. Like we both got set up and he's like, we need to put him down right now. And I'm so glad we did because we got down to the spot where he was standing when I first shot and there wasn't a trace of blood. And there was about 500 elk tracks from both the herd running through there and them just probably hanging out and feeding there all year long or, you know, for the past couple months at least. And so had it not been for that follow-up, I don't know that we would have ever, ever found it, even though it was a great shot. And so... Wow. They, th- everybody out there that I talk to, there's very few people that hunt the West that don't follow that technique where it's like, yeah. until it goes down and guides will tell you the same thing. Like, again, I, I agree. I, I'm not just going to be taking like careless shots, right? No matter what, no matter if it's down or not, I'm not just going to be unloading on a running animal or whatever, but if you have a secondary clean shot. I absolutely would. It would be the same thing if I if I hit a whitetail, if I was bow hunting and I hit one with my bow and it ran out and I've never had this happen, but say it ran out to 55 yards. Send a follow-up yeah. like I'd rather that than it than it go and die somewhere and not be used or not be celebrated or anything like that.
2: I think I think of it more of just like how you're saying Wisconsin, you, you grow up and it's just bang and the deer's dead, yeah. Or bang, it runs twenty yards, it falls over. And I think it's I don't know that lack of experience probably. Like I haven't I haven't visually seen an elk get shot. I've seen moose get shot a handful of times. I see how they react. I'm seen a lot of deer get shot and i know how they react and i think it it might just be that that little bit difference because i haven't seen a lot of people just blow a bunch of shots through moose Yeah, usually it's like one or two shots that actually hit the thing and it runs a little ways and falls over
1: see i mean the the only moose hunt i've ever been on was a similar situation my buddy went out after it him and his girlfriend at the time now she's his wife um they went out they got close to it and we watched everything go down from i'd say probably 300 yards away we watched him well we were watching the moose and we heard the first shot and we could hear the impact like we heard the shot heard the impact it was very clear like in the chest cavity somewhere we didn't fully know where and then we watched it and it started running and then it was a follow up and that one dropped it and all of a sudden it uh he starts walking out of the woods and he's getting probably 70 yards from this moose and you see it stand up on just its front legs and it looks over at him and he pulls up and puts one more in it and when we open that thing up i mean it was three perfect shots like two heart shots and one double lung and the heart shots took out chunks of lung also. And so it's like he did what he needed to, to put the animal down and not let it run into the thick timber where it could be more dangerous to go after it, um, where it didn't suffer. And that's what he was saying when he was walking up to it, he could see it still moving before it stood up. And he's like, just, just stand up. Like, I don't want you to suffer. Like, I want this in quickly, that type of deal. He's like, I was talking to it as I'm walking up to it. So I mean, I, every time I take a shot at an animal, I treat that first shot as if it's the only one that I have. I don't yeah. ever, I don't ever start out shooting knowing that like, hey, I've got a whole pocket full of ammo or I've got five more in it. I'm not going to just be like, it, I've never, aside from uh, pigs and coyotes, I've never just unloaded like that on a, on a mammal. Yeah, it's always like one shot, regroup, reload, go again. And yeah, it's you calm yourself down, you treat it like another shot. And I don't take shots. Like I said, if they're going through the woods and I don't have a clear shot, I'm not I'm not out there just to burn ammo like ammo is expensive. I also don't want to go get the animal and, you know, not be able to use the shoulder, the back straps, the neck, I'd rather have one clean through the chest cavity and I saved basically all of the meat.
2: Yeah. I think that's an interesting point um, with the, the running deer shot, especially up here because Wisconsin pretty thick. Oh yeah. When you get, yeah. You yeah. Get like, back I mean, you're
1: either hunting cornfields and, or like CRP, but if you're in the woods, it's, it's thick. It might, if you're archery hunting it's super thick if you're if you're rifle hunting typically a lot of the stuff is dead but there's a lot of little undergrowth there's a lot of low hanging branches like you have very few windows to
3: shoot through
2: yeah that's what i assumed i think it's a different mentality up here um necessarily i don't think it's the wrong mentality but i think you need to be prepared for it that deer that we shot this fall, my cousin and I, I got a little bit of flack for it, both on TikTok and like a couple of the like 95 comments on the YouTube video. was like terrible shot. No idea why you've tried it. Like blah, blah, blah. Like just not brutally, but like it's not their thing. Yeah. And I think like I had said it in the last podcast of, I've gone whole seasons without seeing a deer, even a doe. I've seen more deer that year from the school bus. So getting into the woods, you might have truly one opportunity in a, a whole month or a month and a half season. If you go into muzzle you might have a single opportunity all season to harvest a mature deer, even if you see a mature deer. And I think just capitalizing on those opportunities is a big thing of, that running shot might be your only opportunity. Yeah. And it, like, I try it every year. Um, and waterfowl helped me immensely with my tracking, like tracking of the barrel and not tracking deer, but just panning the gun through the woods or just getting on target quickly. Waterfowl helped me so much, but I'll put a piece of cardboard in an old tire every uh, summer, fall, and I'll roll it down a hill in a gravel pit and I'll empty a clip and go up and see, then you can make your decision on, I don't know if I'm going to shoot at a running deer, but that deer that we shot this year, it was three o'clock and where it passed in the the spot, it was 0.6 from the road, took us two and a half hours to drag it out. And Max initially had a 30, 30 in his hand. So I gave him my 30 odd six cause I wanted him shooting first. I was like, if you see it and there's a little bit of brush in the way, shoot and put another round towards it. Just get another round at it. And of course this thing almost came trotting in at 25 yards in Dang. the thickest imaginable cover. It was like six or seven foot canopy spruce. And this deer came in, I could see feet. And then I just see a beam come down to the ground. It kind of like starts patterning. In the GoPro video on my shoulder, you see me pick up the gun, cock the hammer, and I go, shoot him, shoot him, shoot, 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 shoot. And then he finally shoots, and he got a really good hit on it, cleanly behind the shoulder. <clears throat> cleanly behind the shoulder, like textbook. And you, there's like a one hole in the GoPro view. You see the deer come out and I dropped the gun for a second view, bang. And I put it up quick and took another shot. And so you have a bigger hole for the Yacht 6 right behind the shoulder. And you have a little hole for the Thirty Thirty right in front of the shoulder. It's that mentality thing mentality confidence and just yeah practice that perishable skill of shooting yeah and can you deal with the consequence too? i think can you deal mentally and physically with losing a deer on a shot and are you prepared to track it down are you prepared to spend two to three hours four or five hours walking in the snow walking in the dirt Drop after drop of blood to correct your mistake. Yeah, if you can do that, I think you're you're in the realm where you can start taking that running shot. I'm going to take the running shot, but it's definitely a, a mind game.
1: Yeah, I in in that's the thing. It's like there's certain parts of the country where that's just what people are used to, or like deer drives. Like you don't have a deer that's staying still. Like I've shot a deer that were walking before. Um, in fact, I have shot at deer that were at a dead sprint. It was like, I was, I still remember it. And we never did find the deer. And I'm telling you right now, if I was losing deer frequently, I don't think I could hunt. I really don't like if I, if I go more than like 80 yards without finding a deer, I start to get super sick to my stomach. Like, I just feel such a heavy weight of responsibility to recover that animal. Um, And, yeah, that first deer, me and my cousin, we were walking in the woods, and this doe jumps out at, like, 10 yards in front of us. I mean, it came down this hill from our left side, and we were in thick woods, and it, like, jumps off this hill and lands in the trail in front of us, and he pulls up and shoots. I pull up and shoot, and we both hit it multiple times. He was – I think he was using a 12 gauge with a slug. I was using a 20 gauge with a slug and we hit this thing and we tracked it four miles and never found it. And it made me so sick. And every indication was that we should have found this deer looking back. We should have given it some time because as soon as we saw it run off, we went after it. It was like, it's go time. Let's go find this deer. And we kept getting there and there'd be a pool of blood and we know that it got jumped because like it looked like it was bedded down right there and it's no longer here. And so we think we just pushed it too hard and we never found it. Um But yeah, I just don't know that. I, I wouldn't make a practice of it because I know that where I hunt, I don't need to, like you're talking about, you yeah. might have one opportunity and it's like, that's the only one. And to be prepared, like you said, training, like rolling that tire down the hill, it's, it's a good way to get confident. It's a good way to make sure that you're not just lobbing lobbying, lobbying leaded a deer and you might actually have a chance of hitting it. So,
2: yeah, it's just that, that normal, right. It's, it's a perishable skill, Yeah, whether it be handgun or shotgun or rifle, a perishable thing. You don't do it all summer, and then you get out to a range. You hit the broad side of a barn right now. Yeah. You get out in September, early October for ducks. Jesus. doesn't matter if 100 ducks flies by me right now. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, if you don't practice, I mean, you're going to lose the skill eventually. What did that end up – what did that deer end up being? You said you saw big beams coming down um, once you got it.
2: that was a really nice buck, 205 pounds dressed and 134 inches, dude. That's the first beer he's ever harvested. That's the second day he's ever hunted with me. He's never even shot a partridge and, and big shout out to max. He followed me all day. We got up before dark, we hunted a big hardwood Ridge in the morning, rattling walking slow on loud, loud, loud leaves. Oh my God. They were loud. It was like walking on ice. And then we switched spots, uh, tried to do a little partridge hunting and then, um, ended up switching out cause we knew it was going to snow later in the day, went into this spot. It was actually kind of up where I shed hunted today. Don't tell <laughs> we do that nowadays. We're like, all right, we're on Mount can't tell you. Um, so we walked in there and I think it was like 1130 noon, right. When it started snowing and it snowed like an inch and a half or two inches. It was just enough. We're walking this cut. There's deer in here. They might be bedded down because of this weather, but there's deer. You go on this skid road. I'm going to walk like three or four skid roads down and go back to the road. And we'll just drive around for the end of the day. See if we can cut a track. Yeah. I bounced a little one. I use a peep sight, so I can't like visually see too far. I pull up my binos quick and I see the deer. I can't see beam. That buck that we shot, you could have seen that beam from 200 yards, big brand, the beam on it. I think it, the basis went like six and three eighths.
1: Holy cow. It
2: was, it was big. So. It was only an eight pointer good one um so we saw that little one and i radioed him like get back over here like we'll get on this track see if it's a spike horn or something um we'll track it down maybe it leads us to other deer it'll be a good training run to get on a track so we put them on it we were on that track for like 20 30 minutes we started getting on this like red swath line a uh, property line it's all good to be out there and we get on it like max if you actually shoot this buck we ought to name it the property line buck it's just a crispy name for it get in there and those like six to seven foot canopy um spruce there's almost spruce like tamarack um can we get into it i'm like we gotta we gotta slow down in here you know the little can calls yeah the primo's cans Yeah, the little deer bleat? Yep. I had the big can. I said, take that out. And every like five minutes, I would tip it over like three, four times. And I do that. And Max is like 10, 15 yards up from me. Maybe not 10. He's probably like 10, 12 feet. And he steps over a log and he he gets my attention. Sticks. Sticks right here. Are you serious? Like, we just came trudging through those trees. Like, we're, we're making noise in here. And I had just done the calls and that deer came in on a clip. It smoked two spruce trees out of its way. And I just saw the feet come into the, I could only see like six or eight inches underneath to the ground. So I see the feet appear and I'm like, looking, looking for antlers. Can't see antlers. And then, like I said, it dips its head down to like chew on the ground. That beam came down, like stomach comes up in your throat <laughs> heart starts racing and i told it to max afterwards that he had about like five seconds and i was going to start unloading i had a shot at the neck and whew, hell of a buck so did. pick up the gun i had turned on the gopro on my shoulder so you have an over the shoulder view almost down the barrel on my gun can't see the deer too well until I shoot he shoots and you I saw a foot come up like he hit it pretty good yep I'm also like it's three o'clock it's getting dark in an hour and I don't want to track this thing I'm gonna put another hole in it so it comes into my view shoot and I'm like all right we need to just see if there's blood so we sneak around the corner like, all right look look and I see it it had been like 20 seconds and the deer's dead laying 35 yards from where it was shot pumped it um both were double lungs and just annihilated it the heart was fine but it it, one of the shots cut the top of the heart right off um it twitched a little bit um i definitely had a a colorful choice of words (laughs) when we walked up to it um It was a very long season this year. I didn't miss any deer. I passed a four corn. Um, and then the losing deer thing, my cousin Melina shot that four pointer and we couldn't find it, which big honor though. She shot an open sight 30, 30 at a hundred yards. So to hit something that good at that, that distance is an accomplishment unto itself, um, but we'll get her with a scope next year and, uh, that buck actually survived the four pointer did caught him on trail cam. caught him on trail camera a week and a half later pretty crazy yeah that's that that will to live thing
1: oh yeah yeah i mean i hear plenty of stories where people shoot deer and they think it's a great shot and then all of a sudden they see it on the hoof three weeks later back on camera and that's a that's a good feeling that three weeks sucks though when you think that it's just rotting out there and I've walked through. Oh, pe- I, I've walked yeah. through that with people. Like, hey man, you get out at night. You get out in the morning. Like, if you're not <laughs> looking for it, you're listening. Listen for crows. Listen for coyotes. Listen for anything that might be feasting on it. And once you do hear them, if you hear the crows going nuts, dude, you get in there right away.
2: Yep. After that day, so we had shot it that morning, and I had to bring her back to her dad's. Um. My girlfriend was saying, it. she doesn't hunt, but she was like, I I applaud you for your effort in that. I spent like a week or something, and I only hunted that cut. I'd bring my own gun, but I hunted that cut. It was within my area being police at that time where I could sit on a dirt road and listen. So I'd be out there like maybe 20 minutes here and there, and I'd just listen. I want to hear if the coyotes are going nuts out there. I want to know if that deer died Yep. and then put some trail cameras out. And sure enough, he came walking through a trail, um, cute little four pointer. Hopefully he's a six next year. Um, yeah, Max, um, he really, he dove right into hunting this year and, and came out with a, a once in a lifetime buck, honestly, like six inch brow tines. Beams, like soda cans, almost. Jeez, um, man. My buddy Dawson shot one in Pennsylvania, shot a nice eight pointer and a doe. His girlfriend harvested a doe or a, a button. Um, they're actually going down to Florida right now to do some fishing. Hopefully he does some filming too. Um, I did not get a deer this fall and I spent probably 250 to 300 hours in the woods dang man yeah it's you that, gotta
1: come that... hang out in missouri with me
2: <laughs> that would be a lot of fun to actually see deer um <laughs> it's that that motivation like you we we're talking about this industry and everybody could do it but they're not going to yep everybody could shoot a deer but how much time are you willing to put into it i could have shot that four pointer but I had, I had set it in my head that I wanted the mature white tail that would represent each state. Well, I had a name New Hampshire and Vermont and the Thanksgiving thing too, I had hunted New Hampshire like the three or four days before Thanksgiving. I was like, geez, like kind of miss my family. Like I'm, I'm going to drive home, (laughs) drove, drove back up here had Thanksgiving, talking with Max at Thanksgiving dinner. I was like, let's go out tomorrow morning. And we shot that
1: book the next day. Dang, man. Yeah. That's just nuts. Well, dude, I I always enjoy chatting with you, hearing all about Maine. Um, Time flies, man. It really does when you're Uh, hanging out and chatting. But the nice thing about this is you can hop back on the podcast with me anytime you want. And so um, we're going to have to schedule more calls and find out what your plans are for this coming year. Um, I know you're going to be doing more traveling. You're going to be doing some shed hunting and, you know, you've got that time freedom to just get out and and live more. So, uh, before we hop off though, why don't you share with people again, if they didn't listen to the first episode where they can go to follow along with you, follow your adventures and see what you're up to.
2: Absolutely. Um, the YouTube page is beyond the boundaries. Um, just crossed over a thousand subscribers. Super exciting. Um and then on Instagram, it's Beyond the Boundaries underscore P-R-O-D, like productions. Um, do some giveaways on there every once in a while. Um, we did come out with hoodies that I designed myself, hats nice. are next, some stickers, and then um we're on Facebook as well. It's a lot of duplicate posting from Instagram to Facebook. And then we have a TikTok that is Beyond the Boundaries 207. And then you can follow uh me personally. Um, I'm tagged in all the beyond the boundary stuff and Ian McSandy on TikTok.
1: Nice, man. Well, dude, I, I appreciate it. I really hope that I'm going to be calling you soon with good news, or you're going to call me before I get the notification and you're like, I just heard your name for the moose straw. Um, dude, I'm gonna, I, I really enjoyed helicopter hog hunting. It was one of the funnest things I've ever done. But if I get drawn for a moose tag, I will lose my freaking mind, man. I will just go nuts. I don't know. There's not going to be any controlling me.
2: Yeah. There's nothing like moose hunting. I haven't shot anything out of a helicopter. Incredible. Moose hunting is amazing.
1: I think the moose hunting side of it, I think the rarity of it, and the fact that like getting drawn is a feat in itself I think that all adds to it, you know, like anybody, if they've got the money can go and get in a helicopter with an AR and mow down hogs and coyotes, like anytime. The fact that these once in a lifetime hunts or these hunts that you're only going to get drawn for, if you're lucky once every 20 years, um, it just becomes cooler. Like I can go kill squirrels any day of the week. If I had to draw a tag for a squirrel, And I might not even see one after drawing. I think squirrel hunting would be even that that much more exciting.
2: Might have to put in for my squirrel tag.
1: (laughs) Come on down, man. Uh, you can, uh, I'll just send you the fee that it costs me to apply for a squirrel license for you. And then we'll just get squared away. Sounds good. Well, dude, I appreciate it, man. Thanks again. And let's do this again sooner rather than later.
2: Absolutely. We'll catch you after the Colorado trip.
1: And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. Man, it's always a good time chatting with Ian. I feel like some of these guys that have been on the podcast, I'm making lifelong friendships with, and I cannot wait to get up to Maine and see what it has to offer. I mean, everybody I've talked to that's either from Maine or been to Maine, just raves about it. And I I feel like the landscape the, the views that you have, the wildlife that you see is very similar to Canada. I mean, it's, you know, right on the border, obviously. But there's so many cool things that you can experience here in the U.S. without having to travel super far, especially if you're in the Midwest. Like, that's one day of driving for you to get up to Maine. And you can experience so many cool things that you might not be able to, you know, in whatever your home state is. So I would encourage you encourage you guys get out there and try to find new things to do new places to see new animals to pursue and gosh I really 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 hope that I can draw that main moose tag I would love to go up there and I know that Ian he knows his stuff so if it all works out it's going to be amazing but I wish him all the best in his new endeavors in his new pursuits and hopefully I can go up there and experience some of that with him now for you guys you're probably either turkey hunting, morel hunting, shed hunting, or you're already starting to do food plots and trail cameras, seeing what bucks are coming up in velvet, trying to figure out, you know, well, I mean, I don't know if many fawns are dropping yet or not. I haven't seen any, but I know it's coming soon. So uh, there's a lot to be done here in the summer. It's going to be kind of a lull or a dead time for hunting, but fishing kicks off. And then obviously the preparation for this fall is going to be in full swing. So hopefully we can get some guests on here for you to share about habitat improvement, food plots, what you need to do in order to get the woods the best that they can be for whatever wildlife you pursue this fall. So until next time, always choose adventure and God bless.